domesticated by Lyle May. I've been remiss in mentioning the geese who usurped the death row rec yard several months ago. I blame the NUI of life in prison. Our routine seldom changes, and for many, the presence of these large birds has a welcome distraction. We speculated they came from a nearby park because the male goose struts around looking for handouts of bread and attention while the female sits on the bulwark of the old prison wall. Within a week, there was goose poop everywhere, and this made the fowls a little less endearing. It didn't take long to figure out the female picked a spot by the wall to lay a clutch of eggs. She rarely moved except to adjust the nest and hiss at anyone who got too close. Even the male goose stayed away from her, seeming content to walk the yard with the rest of us, a quizzical tilt to his head. He only challenged short people, flapping his wings and running toward anyone under five and a half feet. I got to see the eggs one time when the females stood to move one. They were easily the size of baseballs. Days after the sighting, I stepped outside to find a small group of guys gathered a dozen feet from several fudgy, fuzzy hatchlings, watching them stumble and bumble around their new surroundings. It reminded me of an altogether different animal family from the past. About 15 years ago, Death Row was housed in Unit 2, an old part of Central Prison. Toward the back of this section, an access road allowed ambulances to abscond with the bodies of executed prisoners, and the grass grew unchecked. This small, undisturbed area also attracted a variety of wildlife that made for some interesting entertainment. When nothing was on the television, we often stood at the windows and watched spiders, pigeons, sparrows, hawks, mice, rats, and a family of cats. At first, the cats watched us. Our windows were holes to which we fit birds and vermin alike or passed contraband between the cell blocks with a weighted cloth line swung in grass until it reached the right destination. Eventually, the cats figured it out and found willing hands to scratch their backs and provide food. It was kind of cool to have pet cats on death row. They didn't judge or care about our crimes. They were oblivious to everything but their basic needs, and once these were met, purring and lounging were the order of the day. The cats were affectionate in an unguarded way that made us feel human again. It's easy to see why we catered to them. Gary and Mule, two old men who slept in adjacent cells on the ground floor and were close friends, named the first cat Sugar and Grandpa. They brought back some of their own meals from the chow hall in favor of feeding their furry friends. Everything from tuna and chicken to scrambled eggs. The only food Sugar and Grandpa disdained was the mystery meatloaf patty, which they carried outside and buried. Free to roam F-block, Sugar and Grandpa were royals, treated with respect and awe. When they weren't scaring off the mice or chasing birds, the cats curled up on Mule's bunk and slept. They knew either instinctively or by watching us to scat when we yelled, Man, down! It was understood the man is bad news and would take them away from us, nobility or not. After a while, Sugar got pregnant, and we assumed Grandpa was responsible, since the only other cat was Shadow, who wasn't inclined to come through the window. I finally gave in to the cat's affection, when the kittens were born. My resistance to playing with holding and feeding them was inconsistent at best. It reminded me I was far away from home. As a child, our family Siamese was my favorite animal. She ruled my room and beat up my stuffed animals when she wasn't hogging bed space, usually beneath the covers and behind the crook of my legs. When I left home as a teenager, 
She was a part of the family I abandoned. Sugar and Grandpa resurrected this hurt, so I fought the low of their acceptance. Whatever veneer of toughness or indifference I maintained to deal with the executions crumbled with the arrival of the kittens. Their little kitten claws hooked deeper than the cloth of my red jumpsuit. Resisting their insistent curiosity and playfulness was impossible, so I brought them milk and food, brushed the tiny fur balls, and helped give cat baths. With no access to vet, to a vet or medicine for worms, fleas, and whatnot, we used plenty of soap. The lie killed most of the mites, and the kittens stayed clean for as long as it took them to shake it off, sneeze, and run out the window. Some of the guards knew we had cats on the cell block and threatened to call animal control or an exterminator, but they never did. They didn't need another reason for us to hate them, and at the time, several execution dates had been set. A couple of the more sociable female guards would ask after the cats, wanting to know if any were lurking about when they came to shake somebody down, but no one, prisoner or guard, went out of their way to hurt or run off our friends. About six months after Sugar's second litter, some of the cats began to wander off or die. The first to go was Morax, a dusty black cat we think was a descendant of Shadow. One morning he lay in the grass sluggish and growling. By lunch he was dead. Next, Sugar brought Mule Limp Kitten, dropping at his feet like some offering and meowing. While it was possible they got a hold of some rat poison, we had no way of knowing until another kitten died. Some of the older cats were never seen again, so we hoped they took off to begin their families elsewhere. While we enjoyed their company and the affection, it was understood they did not belong at the prison with us, waiting for the 11th hour. The hardest day arrived when maintenance workers went around to each unit installing thick panes of plexiglass and metal grating over every cell window. Access to the wildlife ended. For a while, we heard the cats cry at Mule's and Gary's windows, imploring sounds that twisted my chest. The last straw for me came when I overheard Gary talking to one of them to the barrier. I'm sorry, baby. Go on. I can't feed you anymore. You can't stay with us. You'll die here. I immediately put my headphones on and blasted the radio. Watching the geese with their goslings, I understood why no one bothered to name him. There were oddities in this place, wild things, that had no place in our tightly controlled world. Only three of the original five hatchlings were still alive when animal control came for them, though one was limping and blind in one eye. It was good they were taken. The hawks lived nearby and some new fox pups were spotted by the outer fence. Even vultures had made appearances on our wreck yard. The day they took the geese, I went outside, and the wreck yard felt like the empty dirt lot it is, but more so. It was then I grew envious of the geese. They were free. <laughs>